Welcome to episode 25 of the IntelliCast podcast, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. My name is Adam Jolly, and joining me as always is my co-host, Brian Lamar. Hey, Adam. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Um, summer's almost over. Uh, I feel like we just so started. Great, wasn't it? It's like 60 degrees outside right now. I legit thought about bringing a jacket to work today. It was cold. I don't know. I was in Pennsylvania. It was cold one day. Pennsylvania. Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk more later. Okay. Dutch country. Yeah, I was, I don't even know where I was. Makes sense. Uh, as always, you can reach EMI as in telecast at emi-rs.com, EMI underscore research on Twitter, and telecast one on Twitter. My name is Adam Jolly, all one word on Twitter. Brian, do you have a Twitter account? Not yet, but maybe. The door's open, it sounds like. It's open. Why not? You know what? Twitter's, I mean, even if it's just for the jokes. It's good enough. That's kind of what you use yours for, right? Your personal one? Yeah. Yeah, my personal is, is really a lot of jokes usually. Um, it's not football season, so. And Notre Dame football. That's going to yeah. start cranking up here soon. Yeah. Um, I thought about tweeting about golf yesterday. Man, I watched the whole thing in the car. There was like a half <laughs> There was like a half hour where I was really excited. When it was like, oh my gosh, Tiger's in the lead, and it's going to be a Tiger versus Spieth showdown. I thought it was like, here comes Spieth, Rory, yeah. Tiger. Here it comes. Oh my God. That, I got goosebumps thinking about that in the car, but it, like six minutes later, it was over. The course always wins. Yeah. It really is. That's I mean, that's kind of the rule of golf. The course always wins. Yeah. It's horrible. Uh, Brian, what's going on in the world, non-research-wise? Um, let's see. Um, as I mentioned, I went to Pennsylvania yeah. for a few days. What were you in Pennsylvania for? It was my brother-in-law's 50th birthday and his oh. daughter's first birthday, same day. Really? Yeah, and it was in... Um, with every new beginning, with every end comes a new beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And it was near Bucknell. It was in a little town called Milton, Pennsylvania. Hey, watch the language. Bucknell. I think I said that right. Put the E on this. Thanks, Peters. <laughs> um, near Williamsport. So I mentioned to you earlier that I went to South Williamsport and saw where yeah. the Little League World Series is played. Sure. That was a bucket list item. Me and my little bulldog, Bonnie, got to run around out there. Hey. And it was, it was just, it's just cool. Like, I couldn't imagine being 12 years old. I mean, you've been mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine being 12 years old and playing in that field. It's just beautiful. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And especially... There's just like a nostalgia or romanticism about it. Like, uh, yeah. have you ever been to Cooperstown before? I have not been to Cooperstown. You were close though. Like, you were right I up to, there. I still live not too far from Cooperstown. Yeah. I never went. It's the same type of thing. It's hard to explain to people without getting like Hallmark card type yeah. feelings. But once you're there, you just, you have just a certain feeling like, yeah. It's like this nostalgia, like things are better there and like <laughs> life just must be easier and better. Yeah. There, right. Because everything is simple. Everything is simple about like a game that you yeah. learn when you're five and maybe you master when you're 23, right? Yeah. I, don't I, mean, know. I saw where, you know, the kids, they ride the cardboard down the giant hill and they yeah. go and touch the statue and the little dorms they have. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's where they all play ping pong. It was just kind of cool to be there. It was like, a, you know, a 20 minute thing, but it was cool. Yeah. As, yeah. I, uh, I love Williamsport. Um, have some family outside of Williamsport and around that Altoona area, things like that. Um, but I think, yeah, it's definitely a bucket list type thing. And then you've, you've got to go to Cooperstown. Yeah. I mean, now it's hard to know. Like you really almost have to be in the area because everyone goes during the hall of fame. Like I was thinking, um, I watched the home run derby with my six year old last week and my six year old just has no desire to be involved with it. And I love baseball. I mean, baseball to me growing up, um, I'll always remember sitting in like a horse trailer with my dad 
and like he would buy me a pack of baseball cards to keep me to shut up for three hours. Yeah. And I would just memorize the back of baseball cards and try to come up with new stats to see if they were real or not. And like I would always come up with that. So baseball was everything to me. And yeah. then like you could never watch baseball. Yeah. You know, back, like then it was if you had TBS or WGN. Yeah. And then whatever your city was, like even then, like they think the Reds on Sports Channel only had like fifty games a year, maybe. Yeah. Um, it was just so hard to see a baseball game. Yeah, you'd have and, your Saturday game of the week, and that was about it. Yeah, and now that baseball is one hundred percent available whenever yeah. you want it. Yeah. No, why would you watch it? Right. And it's, it's so oh, boring. it's to do games. Right. Yeah. And it's I mean it's just a lot of sitting around, and I have to like talk to to my son. Like he loved the home run derby because that was kind of it. It parred up with all the other parts of sports that are yeah. good, right? It was quick. It was exciting. Something happening, yeah. movement at all times. Fans yeah. were excited, like. Yeah. But otherwise, like I, I, I'm try, I was trying to think. I was like, how can I go to Cooperstown? I was like, well, maybe Poppy gets in in four years, three years, or whatever. But ah, it's a struggle. Yeah, we drove by Canton on the way to get to Williamsburg. Yeah, Park. I've never been there. The football Hall of Fame either. Like man, I, I'm gonna do that too. I need to do that because like, you can do a trip, go to Canton, and you can go to yeah, Cooperstown too, too, right? And then uh, you're not too far away from. I've never been to Springfield. Yeah, um, yeah. do the whole thing. But I've, yeah, you're not too far away. Yeah. Just keep going. Um, was that ninety? Yeah, Massachusetts yeah, Turnpike will go there. Yeah, uh, that's interesting, man. You never been to Canton? No, never been to have Canton. You, Producer Brian, have you ever been to Canton? Where is the Canadian? Is it in Hamilton? Canadian Football the Hall of Fame. Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Saskatchewan, uh, the Rough Riders. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to the Canadian football segment later. Uh, the bus room at the at the Pro Football Hall of Fame is uh-huh. pretty great. The like bus room, yeah, where they keep all oh, the, the bus. Yeah. all the brown, all the bronze, yeah, uh, not love bronze, but <laughs> right. bronze faces. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I suggest. Well, one I almost that. went to a game a few years ago. I'm a Steelers fan, and my brother's a Saints fan. They were playing in the Hall of Fame game, and yeah. I, went, I was going to go up there, and then I started researching it, and no offense to people in Canton, that, that stadium is a dump. Like, why Ugh. do they still? Why do, let's move. Can we move the, the? Here's my hot take of the day. Breaking my mic. Yeah, let's move. Let's move the football hall of fame to like a real town. Cleveland. <laughs> well, it's not really in Cleveland. It's in, but it it's for it's they put enough. it there because the first professional team was Canton, or whatever. Then. Oh, is that why? Yeah, okay. that's why it's there. It should be all right. Let's let's have like a like a you have teams submit to get the Super Bowl yeah. or the Final Four. Let's do that for football. And I I think Green Bay should have it. Let's just can you put it on a truck? Is it I don't have it been in the Hall of Fame. Is it something you could put on a truck and move to Green Bay? Why why do you need a brick and mortar Hall of Fame place? Right? Have we not <laughs> advanced true. enough as a society where you can That's put like, a pop up Hall of Fame? That's true. Let's move all of the Hall of Fames. <laughs> First of all, like we just we just named three cities. That all intents and purposes are the worst. Ah, right. Cooperstown, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, and Canton, Ohio. Yeah. What are we, why? Yeah. They moved the College Football Hall of Fame. So the College Football Hall of yeah. Fame used to be here in yeah. Cincinnati. I don't get it. Yeah. And then it moved to South Bend for probably 15 years. Yeah. And now it's in Atlanta. Right. So what are we doing? Like, why, yeah. why can't, if you had the Pro Football Hall of Fame was in Green Bay, the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame. Cincinnati? Probably, can we get it here? No, you you just depleted your argument. It has to be. It has to be in New York. <laughs> yeah, probably has to be in New it York. It could be in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, there's enough history there. Yeah. Here, yeah, I know Cincinnati was the first professional baseball team. Five titles. Um, first One. night baseball yeah. game. Yeah, so maybe it could be in Cincinnati. Well, first, I want to take 
the National Football Hall of Fame out of Canton. Then I'm coming for the Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame. I'm after, if I once I get the football, then I'm going for the music. I never understood the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame being in Cleveland, and it is it is something. If bucket list is you have to see something and check it off, yeah. this is you see something, check it off, and then never think about it ever again. Yeah. Somebody's going to be mad that I said about it. But yeah. Cleveland, man, as a city, what are we doing? Now that LeBron's gone. Yeah, all gloves are off, right? Until we win five games this year. I cannot wait. I actually got like new Browns gear for my birthday. My wife was like, let's do it. Let's jump in. That's the over-under. I think it's five, five and a half, maybe? Yeah, I think it's five. I think we're going to go over. Although there was some news today about Josh Gordon, but I digress. I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows where he is. <laughs> uh, any current events in market research, Brian? Yeah, it's kind of a down. Doesn't have to be. It's kind of a down time. Yeah. I think we haven't had any Martin Sorrell news for a week or two. No. Um, no mergers, no acquisitions. Maybe just, I've been off the grid maybe a little bit. I don't There's know. There's no anything. conferences. There's no real hot takes. I mean, I guess we're still living in like the hot takes of blockchain that from a couple weeks ago. But yeah. um, maybe we should have like a blockchain palooza. Like we bring on like four or five blockchain people to talk. Like we you have just a really series. nerd out. Yeah, like a series yeah. of blockchain. Maybe we need to change the structure of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should talk. You know, if we went in like for a month, just four straight weeks of having somebody involved in blockchain come on here, talk about first of all what they think blockchain means to the market research and why why their solutions better. Yeah, I know we weren't going to talk about blockchain, but here we are. Do you have a crypto wallet? I got some Coinbase stuff out there. Oh, nice. Yeah, why, might as well. You gotta play around a little bit. I've got a little Coinbase too. This is affluence. <laughs> you just throw it away. Uh, no, but I wonder, like, if, if then, okay. My thought is, and this is what I would love to hear. So all these new blockchains is, and I bring this up and you kind of smile every time I bring it up, but where is the money? Yeah. That's like my, I just keep getting hung up on it. Well, I think, and we just talked about this, but I think one way, is an insights because we're going to have so much data available. I think when people start realizing that their personal data is an asset and they start right. selling it and leveraging it. Now it's going to take some time to get there and who knows what kind of format this is in, but at some sure. point we're going to have so much data to analyze and I'm not sure who's really trained to do that. At least in market research, we don't have a lot of people that are trained to look at primary research data from an ad hoc survey and then overlay it with someone's Facebook and social media, text analytics and credit card receipts. I mean, that right. seems overwhelming to me. So there's going to be, that's some money. Yeah. All right. So think about it this way. Say I am Cantar Ipsos Nielsen. Yeah. And part of a line item in my research budget is sample of which I'm using some of my own and then I'm upselling what somebody else has yeah. and I'm putting margin on that. And that is a line item in my part. I'm automatically assuming now with blockchain that that line item is gone. Correct. Well, maybe because the part for me as a full service market research firm is arguably I am focusing on what I'm very good at. as far as the analysis of reporting, the yeah. measurement tools, those type of things, and not the sample part of it. Yeah. The yeah. sample acquisition part. It's a bit of a change, right? Yep. The other part, we don't have, again, we'll go into this at a later date. I just am like planting these questions because they're on my mind right now. Like if you are, um, if you have $5, <laughs> right, that's your CPI. Yeah. With blockchain, $4 now goes to respondent. And then, uh, let's say 450 goes to respondent. Yeah. 
And then there's 50 cents left. Now, assumably because you've cut out a lot of overhead because there's less manual, there's less recruitment techniques, things like that, you don't have to have as high as margins. But say if your margin now drops to 10%, that's kind of the um, what we've heard is kind of 5 to 15% is kind of the exchange fee yeah. right? for this. Could you operate at 5 to 15% margin? Yes, and here's how. Okay. I think that the average lifespan of a current respondent, well, I don't know, 2.2 surveys if we're yeah. lucky. Yeah. Maybe that goes up tenfold, right? Right. So maybe I make uh, three bucks times two surveys per yeah. respondent. That's $6. Or I have one respondent and I make you know 50 cents times 20 surveys. So your cost per acquisition is lower and then you get yeah. more life cycle, lifetime of the respondent. That's what I think I'm hoping will happen, right? Is that people sure. aren't just going to join a panel and realize they're getting paid eight cents for it and take two surveys when they're bored and then quit forever. 15% of $1,000 instead of 15% of $500. Yeah. Basically, that's what you're saying. That's what that I think. That makes sense to you and I. We are yeah. with a privately held company. <laughs> right. Uh, what about some companies? There may be companies that are industry that are owned by private equity. Yeah. Or maybe have a lot of VC money tied into them. Yes. They don't like that percentage, right? I don't. I don't think so. Unless that's, that's, you'd have to make, you'd have to have a better, more compelling story than we just told about lifespan right. of a respondent and value adds, maybe that can occur in this world. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. There's um, something there, or maybe yeah, you have some kind of value add, like we use all the data that we're sitting on. You can <laughs> pin it onto it, right? I get it. It is there. Let's move on. Okay, we'll dive into this later. Um, this is an idea that was submitted to us via email. Um, I'll say who it came from. David Butler, Pure Spectrum. Yeah. I like David. Hey, shout out to Pure Spectrum. And we we may have indirectly spoken poorly about DIY systems. That wasn't our intent. We're just saying there's some differences. Yeah. Pure Spectrum's one of those. Uh, but David kind of gave the thought that there's not a lot of talk in the industry. So we, I mean, there's a lot of talk about growth, but not as far as like growing the amount of people that are in it. And I always get very energized when I go to say IIEX and you see the Georgia students that are there. Um, I love to hear you talk about what you're doing at Georgia, stuff we do at NKU here. Um, I know a number of friends of mine in the market research industry sit on boards of education type centers. We're always talking about how can we get more people into market research? And then you ask people, how did you get into market research? And it's always like the most bizarre right. story. <laughs> I didn't mean bizarre. to. Well, no one wants, no one means to get into market research. <laughs> um, and it just kind of happens. Yeah. But David kind of suggested that we share our kind of origin stories. We yeah. started including this, like when we do interviews. I think that was when we started doing interviews, we were kind of doing that, but we kind of veered off. But yeah, uh, we started letting people kind of pitch what they're talking about, right? Yeah, let's go back to basics. We're getting back to basics. We're getting back to where people can talk about what are their origin stories. And and the idea here is that if we can all say we come from different backgrounds, um, I'm a huge believer in that it's a collective group. So we can't all think the same. You can't have all the same mindsets, all the same personalities and behaviors in the same room except to do anything. So if we all come from different backgrounds and experiences, we can get better outcome and better real growth as an industry. So we can share these instances, how we got into it, and then maybe suggest, give it kind of a suggestion moving forward to the future. Like, this is how you can get into market research. This is how you can take a better step. I once had a manager tell me that he's made every mistake that I've made, which is great. But, you know, something like that. So we're going to start with you, Brian Lamar. We're both going to give ours today. Uh, It's a slow news month. All right. So this is a good segment, and we'll see if it works. Is this a four-minute story, a 12-minute story? What are we doing here? Uh, Give me six. All right. Here we go. Yeah. 
So I'm in college. I went to the University of Kentucky. That's where I'll start the story for me. And I was a marketing major just because I felt like I wanted to get into business. Sure. And I was I was always good at math. And we talked about baseball earlier. And I learned math by baseball because I remember at the beginning of you know in the beginning of baseball season when someone is one for one or zero for one, their batting average is easy to figure out, right? Right. And then once it starts getting you know, two for five, oh, that's four hundred. Oh, two for six, and it starts getting more complicated. I would constantly try to figure out people's batting averages. Yeah. So I was really good at math, um, but basically because of sports like that. And I thought it should be in accounting for some reason, but I wasn't good at accounting. Then I was sure. in business. So I got into marketing. I liked marketing. Um, and I did not want to know what I wanted to do with my life, like a lot of, I think, business majors and marketing majors, because it's so broad. Marketing is just so broad. Right. Um, no offense to Mr. Producer Brian over there. Oh, it's the um, worst. Yeah, he'll admit it. So then, I, I mean, my story is pretty simple. Honestly, it's not like most. I was in a marketing three hundred class, one of the capstone classes at UK, and someone from the University of Georgia came by and said, "Hey, let me tell you about this program at the University of Georgia. It's first of all, it's free. Everybody's on scholarship. Coca Cola sponsors it, so it's one hundred percent free, and it's one year. And every single person that's ever gone through this program is guaranteed a job. Not one person. And this is in nineteen ninety seven when this happened. Wow. And to this day, everybody's got a job. So another twenty years of success. And that spoke to me because I wanted a job. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a bartender in college. I think my college career was a little bit like yours. I mean, I was immature and don't spoil took, it. I'm getting ready to go. Don't spoil <laughs> took, it. Took a little bit longer than I expected. Sure. And so at that moment, I walked out of that class and said, I'm going to try to get into grad school. Now I was a good student, but I was certainly wasn't an overachiever. I didn't do, I mean, students today are crazy. We have an intern who's done four market research internships. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I was a bartender and I had fun and I, but I worked two jobs and was in school full time. So I was like, I can't get into the school because I'm, it's a, it was tough to get into. Um, fortunately, I got a good um, GMAT score and I worked at a small market research company in Lexington, Kentucky. It still exists called the Matrix Group. Yeah. And I did everything. I was a telephone interviewer for two years. I was a focus group assistant. I did coding. I did data entry. I did in-person research. And I was like, I want all of this stuff on my resume because that'll get me into grad school. I drove down to Georgia with a buddy of mine once just to meet the instructors, just to put a name in front of my face, knowing that when they had to pick people, I wanted them to see my my face when I applied. Right. So I did that for a weekend, and I was fortunate that they met with me. And so that was my story. That's how I got into market research. And I fell in love with it, I think, at that place because I got to talk to people in person. And one of the things that I'll tell people is really cool is that not what we do every day, but it still inspires me and inspired me when we went to the living room, for example, when you get yeah. to talk to people and get their opinions and you get to shape products and services and build stuff based upon people's opinions. I mean, people's opinions really do matter. Right. So that's what I would tell kids is like um, market research is kind of a niche industry, but it's consumer behavior is all it is. Right. And anything applies. Like there's a psychology and sociology element to it. It's just more, you know, more business um, impact of that. Um, instead of like a social science, not sure yeah. what happened over here. Yeah, you were um, in the room a couple t- different ways. <laughs> Echo. Um, so that's kind of my story. I, mine's a little more boring than most. I don't have an exciting one, but the, my whole goal was to get into grad school. And then obviously, when I went to grad school, yeah. I was just immersed in market research and just the sure. networking. And then the companies, I mean, we had 30 companies come to us and interview us, which was kind of cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, what would your advice be to people that are either? I mean, maybe they're in a career now and somehow they accidentally searched and found us or they're in college or people that are in the industry now as far as like to get, 
either into market research at industry or to get a better job at market research? Well, there's just tons of jobs in market research. Very few, very few people in the whole industry have any type of business or marketing research background. It's very, very low. It's got to be one percent, you think? Yeah. Uh, most, I mean, you talk to people every day that have random degrees and irrelevant, but it doesn't matter. So there's so much jobs available in anything. You can be an analyst. You can be a project manager. You can get to sales. You can be in management. Um, you can get into really cool insights like me. Um, you can interview people. Um, you can be. You can design. You can get a design. We have, we have design jobs in market research now and um, technology. There's tons of jobs in technology. We're kind of exploding in terms of technology and coders. I mean, there's tons of like you know like coding language. There are jobs out there. Um, so I think there's tons of opportunity. I think that we've been a slow and slow growth industry of one or two percent for way too long. And I'm hoping that all the technology we're talking about now with blockchain will improve insights and improve business decision making ability. And right. I think we're on the verge of like a, everybody's going to win. I think I think we're going to start seeing five or ten percent industry wide growth. That's it's great. Just huge for us. I agree. Do you agree with all that? I do. I do. Yeah. I really do. There's jobs out there. I haven't talked to like generally when I've talked to people like friends in the industry or other piano companies, research firms, whatever, everyone is talking about growth that they're having this year. And I feel like it's just because we're finding new jobs, we're finding new ways to do research and new people that need research. Right. Yes. And you can get and research inexpensive. Right. I, mean, I agree. If you go to the, some of the companies we named earlier, it's yeah, if you compromise, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's other companies out there. You can do stuff really right. inexpensively. If you're a small business, you can do research really cheap and effective. I agree. Uh, what's your story? My story. Um, so I, um, uh, go to University of Eastern Kentucky and my goal was to just graduate. I think that was kind of my goal. I had, I was very, uh, in high school, I was like the cleanest person ever. Like I didn't do anything. Like I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. I didn't smoke. I didn't, I just played sports. That's all I wanted to do. And then, uh, going to Eastern Kentucky, it kind of changed myself. It was like my first time out. It's probably two hours away from where I grew up. Um, and I was a geology major. I was an education major. I was a history major. Um, I think I was in astronomy for maybe a semester. Um, I wanted to do accounting for a second. I was business law was something I got really into for, I mean, I, oh, wow. I, did, I made the best. So after three years there, I left EKU um, for a girl of all things uh, and went to NKU in uh, Northern Kentucky University, which was closer outside of Cincinnati, yep. actually, and uh, with no business credits. I, I had nothing. I had I, yeah. I transferred up to where I had nine credits transfer over with me, and there was just like the science requirement. that. Oh, my gosh. So I basically started over um, at 20, 21, I guess. Uh, started over in college and... Um, just start taking just as many classes as I could. And I thought I wanted to be in journalism. That's really what I, cause I can write. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I took an advertising class, an advertising research class. I was really trying to get to where my, my goal for taking the class, was I thought it'd be interesting. And like, I thought I could learn how to write some copy for advertising, uh, that would help me with like journalism type thing and just get a better idea of how to write a lot of different things. Cause my goal was to work at a newspaper, which was, in 2002, sounded awesome, right? <laughs> right. Like, didn't know that the industry was dying. I think Cincinnati still had two newspapers at the time. Like, yeah. that was my goal. Um, and I was in a class, and I was just kind of still doing my normal, just kind of half-assing it type way through education. And I got a C on a class, and I was sitting outside of a hallway um, talking to, I think, a girl. Probably. And um, I was talking about this class and how I was just trying to get through. I was trying to learn some things, but really just trying to get the extra credit. Um, 
and to get on. And I had no intentions of getting better than a C in the class. I had no like drive to really be successful in the class. Yeah. And the professor at the time steps out of the room and says, well, that's kind of like your problem through everything. He's like, you have a lot of potential. You're very smart. Um, but you never really applied yourself. And if you don't apply yourself, then you can't really fail and you're afraid of failing. Uh, you are very smart, but you're the only really person that knows that you have to prove that to other people. And that really stuck with me. Um, so I found out what the professor taught. He taught market research at NKU with an emphasis on marketing. And I was far enough along in journalism where I could switch to marketing. It wasn't going to be like a huge drop in credits. Plus, I've already wasted four or five years. Who cares, well, right? Right. So <laughs> I signed up and started taking market research classes. I liked it. Uh, I liked the math part. I'm like you. I was really into statistics. Yeah. I um, Like I said, I would memorize baseball cards. I was really into – like I remember being young and trying to figure out on base percentage. Like it was really apparent to me at a young age that the more you got on base, the better it was. And, like on base plus slugging was like the ultimate stat to me because not only did you get on base, but you got on a lot of bases. Yeah. So – but it was really hard to read from baseball cards because baseball yeah, cards didn't have it back like then. walks or plate appearances and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, you may have invented a statistic. I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> um, I just remember when I was a kid, like Kirby Puckett, like those type of guys were like my like guys that got on base a lot and then got multiple bases, like young Bonds, like pre ninety five Bonds. Yeah. Was like it to me because he walked a ton, right? Yeah. And we get on base and then steal bases and things like that. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. So uh, the professor's name was Aaron Levin. Um, he's still there. He, I get credit with him and everything I have. Um, his wife works here, actually, at EMI uh, in our accounting department. But um, he kind of sparked me to do something. And then I met um, EMI. I, I was finally serious about getting a business. We did like a speed dating um, recruiting session. And I sat down with people from Directions and Burke and Market Vision and Parker and SIRS. I mean, all the market research firms in Cincinnati that are gigantic. And EMI was one of the tables. I remember liking Mike. Um, Aaron Walton was working at EMI as well. I remember um, he drove a nice uh, Jeep Cherokee, which for me at 22, 23 at the time, I was like, hey, all right. And he, he is he much older than you? No, he's a year older than me. One year. So you're looking yeah. at him as like, oh, my gosh, I could be like Aaron Walton. I could be like this guy who yeah. seems to know his stuff, seems very smart, seems yeah. to be making some money. I'm like a normal guy, Let's right? Let's do it. Yeah. So I – um I said yes to EMI. I was working for the Cincinnati Reds at the time. Um, and definitely saw the ceiling because they were going to hire anybody who wanted that job. And I was making like $15 an hour. Yeah. Like walking around with the walkie-talkie <laughs> all day long. Um, not really doing anything applicable to business and it was super replaceable. Um, and then, um, yeah, I got, I, I got the job. I went through training and I graduated on Friday. I started on Monday. Um, and then from there, and this is my advice to people out there is like the connections that you make don't underestimate a connection that you could be making at the time um just because it, it's wild to me how small of a world things are and like the people that i've known for so long and could very easily have passionately taken it with like a grain of salt like it really mean a lot to me now yeah. so like i i was just telling i went to chicago with a sales rep last week and i was like you know my my biggest business moment like first time i failed i gave an awful presentation at cnr yeah. and todd eviston who's from northern kentucky like yeah. we have a lot of similarities was like you well, that was awful why are we giving you any money he said that to you he said that to me yeah. and then, like, i was like oh man i gotta get better and so yeah. like, i started getting better and like he like helped me through a lot of that oh wow um but even more than that like knowing somebody like Ted Pulsiver for yeah. the last five years as like roles different. Everything's changed. Um, there's a guy at ORC, uh, Warren Frankel, who was at ORC and is now head of North America for Ipsos. Like 
he gave me trust and told me I was smart when I was like 26. Yeah. That made me feel like I was someone. Lenny Murphy. Yeah. I mean, it was one of my first clients I'd ever had when he was at Rock Hopper and made me feel like I was somebody, like I was smart. I could do something with my life. And that kind of, you know, now seeing his, what he's done with the green book and like the type of influence he has. Um, Bailey, when we had her on the podcast earlier. Yeah. Um, even like, like I, I brought up Isaac last week, but like, we're very similar in that we came in at a young age and we work for similar type of people. And like we're, our careers are kind of progressed. We're like, now we're stepping into like the front office. And like, I try to like maybe share some notes with him about that, but that's like a relationship. Like I met him at a conference and I was like, Oh my gosh, you're the only other dude here under 30. We should probably hang out and grab a beer together. Yeah. You know? And I think that, that's be my biggest thing for anyone trying to get in this industry is that as much as you would think because of statistics and like the talking people that it's a lot of introverts. Yeah. There's a lot of extroverts. Yeah. And that relationships mean so much in this industry, even if you're not in sales, because this industry is built so much on trust, um, which I think probably more than other industries, to be honest. Yeah. And integrity means a lot. And uh, really just don't, t- don't take a relationship for face value. Always think, what could you get more from? There. That's really good. Thanks. There's probably lots of like young people and people, uh, people senior, more senior people that have been in the industry. They can learn. I've, I think they can get a lot out of this. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and, and so as I was naming those names, like other names, like Michael Halberstam of ISA. Yeah. I remember meeting him at a market research firm. He made me feel kind of smart one day. Like people that like instill confidence in me that you can do something more. Yeah. than what you are, and like I'll always remember that. And they're the yeah. only people that I seek out at conferences. Like, oh my gosh, how are you? Let's talk. Things like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's where I'm at. That was good. Thanks. Um, do you have a research rant of the week? I think my research, not on a research rant, rant of the week. No, do you have a non-research rant of the I week? Think, I think the Hall of Fame rant. It's good enough. Let's get rid of the Hall of Fames. I'm with you. <laughs> so uh, let's keep this going. Um, if you're listening and want to keep doing more um, and you want to give your origin story, um, if that's an easier way to come onto the podcast, we'd love to have you. Uh, please email us at Intellicast. That's I N T. E-L-L-I-C-A-S-T at EMI-RS.com. We'd love to have you on. Uh, just hear what your origin story is and see what type of advice you have to people as they're getting in the industry. Um, when we started this podcast, it was really, we thought we would do once a month, maybe max, and we would talk only about sample. And quickly we started to realize that that's not what resonates with people. Yeah. <laughs> the opinions about re- about market research sample, that's very niche. Yeah. Um, but I think people want to hear more about how people got in the industry. They want to relate to people. Um, most of the comments we get back are when we BS about like sports or politics or something that's going on. Um, cause people want to hear more. They want to see somebody that's in a like position of them thinking the same things of them to affirm that they are not a crazy person. <laughs> right. 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 So that wraps up this week. Um, you can reach us at intellicast.emi-rs.com, EMI underscore research on Twitter, Intellicast1 on Twitter, my own personal Twitter, Adam Jolly. Um, you see us at the upcoming conferences. We will be at the Insights Association fall meeting at the GLC. That's here in Cincinnati, September 5th through 7th. We'll also be at the Cincinnati AMA Ignite event, September 22nd. Brian. Yes. We're getting ready to go on a road trip. Are you ready? Yeah, we're, we're going to hop in a car for four hours, like literally in like seconds from now. I actually thought about what if we just recorded this on our way. Because <laughs> we we pretty much drive through Walton. We're definitely going to drive through E-Town. Yeah, we'll drive through both of our hometowns. That would have been the great origin story, drive through oh, our hometowns. Oh, why don't we do this? That would have been great. Scrap, delete the episode. Get our moms on. Start it over. <laughs> Bring on PJ. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.